Neighborhood Church. To find out more about who we are, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. Pastors. Um, actually, my official title is um, I am the pastor's husband. I'm the pastor's husband. That's what I am. So, um, my wife, uh, my partner Nikki, and I have been pastors here. I'm glad to be here. I say this every week um, because like, there's like 20 of us in this room, right? And we talked about this at Buck Club. Was it the best thing ever? It was. It's worth it. It's a shameless plug for the next one. Um, but when you walk around and sometimes you expect, oh, there's going to be 100 people there, there's going to be whatever, and you have this idea, and you look around and like, hey, uh, what's going on? What's going on is that we're here to connect. And if there's 100 people, if there's 10 people, there's something incredibly, um, even online, the people, who are, the people who are watching, even online, um, there's something beautiful about finding a sense of belonging and connecting in any way you can. So thank you for taking the time. Uh, getting the kids out here so they come, they can punch my hand. I know um, I have a buddy, uh, Dipper Reed, right? <laughs> Dipper Reed, uh, who's watching in the hot tub right now. So Reed, thanks for watching. I appreciate that, Reed. Um, uh, and I, I know Nancy's online, a bunch of people. So thank you for being here. And we are in a series called um, Stuff Paul Said. It, it, and why is that funny? <laughs> and we find that very funny, right? Stuff Paul Said, that's what it is. And Paul, writes um, a lot of the New Testament, and it's all over the place. And some of it's uh, inspiring and beautiful. Other parts, it's like you read twice, like, what in the world is he talking about? Um, and it's wonderful. And I love the Bible. If we've not met, I am a huge fan of the Bible. I met a, a pastor, Pastor Kate, who said, um, uh, to where I stole it from her directly. She said, um, what? My wife's shaking the... Could be. Could be what? Oh, did I say the name wrong? All right, anyways... Anyways, I met this pastor, and <laughs> she says that she takes the Bible um, uh, seriously, but not always literally. And we had a long talk, and she talked about how she wants the people in her church to just fall in love with the Bible, because the Bible is amazing. It is messy. It is inspiring. Um, one of the things, though, about being around the Bible so much is, uh, and people uh, online or um, at a party or in, um, <laughs> in a room, they will use the Bible, and um, it's it's always interesting when people take the Bible out of context, right? Like for me, I grew up, I had a shirt that said, um, uh, the God lifting weights, I'm strong man. And uh, it was Philippians 4.13, which is I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. And I took that as like, give me strength, God, to lift these heavy things, because that's what the Bible verse means, right? And so like, give me God the strength to eat this hot taco to impress this woman, right? Give me strength, right? And when we use it of saying, yeah, give me strength, right? And when we use this idea of like, I can do all things. Is that what Paul's talking about? So I can eat some tacos, right? And not cry because they're so hot? Or maybe Paul's talking about like, maybe we can identify with people who are hungry and suffering and we also can do that in a late Christ. Maybe Paul's more talking about that. Hey, but if you want to use that, I'm happy for you. Or how about this one? We might use the verse, um, um, cleanliness is next to godliness. 
right? That verse. And the reason we take it out of context is because it's not in the Bible. <laughs> it's nowhere in the Bible. It's a proverb that came out of the 17th century, right? Trying to promote, honestly, trying to promote cleanliness, like hygiene. <laughs> it's like people take care of yourself. Um, and then the one we're going to talk about today is one that we have um, historically used. And I, I, I was supposed to say this before. None of it's bad. If you want to lift in weights and go, Christ has your strength, like, that's good, right? If it leads, if that inspires you to be a better human, then do it. If it leads to love, do it. But when we misquote or have a misrepresentation of what Paul or the Bible is talking about, sometimes we miss on that elevated, um, the, the opportunity to elevate to a higher place where we can maybe do some more good. And how many have ever heard this verse used before? Mostly, like, uh, in hard times. Romans, oh, Romans 8.28. I want to make sure we word for it. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Right? And that verse, like, feels good. Right? Like, maybe you're with your friend Gary and Gary lost his job. And you're like, Gary, man, Gary, listen to me. Look at me. I'm looking at him. Gary, look at me. Right? God's going to use this. Got all this glory, all this is going to be for good for God's glory. You got this, Gary, right? Or you, um, your kid is sick, and you're like, hey, God's got this. Jim, God's got you. He's going to use it for his glory. And we can use it as a way of, like, <laughs> teachers out there, right? Teachers have heard this couple 13, 14 times, right? We use this verse as a way of giving purpose to pain, of giving reason to hard things. And we like to do this because it makes us feel good. Like, if you've ever been at a funeral, and you're in the line, and you're like five people away from going to go shake the hand of the person who is grieving. And if you're like me, your hands begin to sweat because you're like, what am I going to say? Right? Anyone else ever get nervous about what to say during funerals? Right? You're like, and, and there's, there's just something in my head, and I'd say a lot of us, that we think that we have this magic word. We have this like, perfect phrase. And maybe you come up with it, and all of a sudden the person too in front of you uses that word. They're like, hey, let go of that God theory. And you're like, oh, dear, you stole it from me, right? So like, I have to, then all of a sudden you're swimming because you're trying to think of something else. And, and maybe you say, hey, hey, Bob, I'm here for you. If you need anything, you call me, right? I'm here. You're my phone. You're my contacts. Bob, you got this. You got this, Bob, right? And somehow we think maybe Bob's going to stop and say, you know what? I've had a horrible day, but because you got me. I am now elevated beyond all my grief and happiness, right? So it's no one ever. Like the people that I have known who've lost um, people that they really loved and that were really close, um, when they share with me about how that whole experience was, none of them said like, oh, I remember when uh, Chris said this? That really made me feel better. It was more of that there was people just there. There's people who were present. But why, why do we use something like this verse? Why do we feel like to explain a way of like, hey, God has a purpose for this pain? Because it makes us feel better. That's why we say that. Is we're going through the line and you're sweating what to say. Is it to help them? Yes. Of course we want to rescue people we love from any kind of pain or suffering, obviously. But there's also a way that we just want to like put a little pin in. We get to the front and we say, you know, let go, let God and all things according to his purpose is a way for us to put a little ribbon on it so we can say, I did my part, I can turn that grief off, I can turn that awkwardness off, I can wipe the sweat off my hands, and I can watch the football game. I can go back to sleep. I can go see my dad. I can go see the people who were grieving 
they take that grief with them. It rarely doesn't leave. They're going to watch Super Bowl game thinking about that. They're going to go to lunch thinking about that. And that's like being human. That's what we do. But we like to distance ourselves from any kind of pain, any kind of awkwardness. And we can use <laughs> we can use the Bible as a way to do that. We can take a Bible verse here. We can take uh, a, a chapter or a quote from a book here. We can use a worship song here. And we can just piece it together and make a nice little like um, Christian theological theological sandwich that we can eat because it makes us feel good. And when we do that, now let me say, that's not inherently bad, right? Because you want to feel good. It's not like some evil thing. But at times, we're going to show, if, if you play it all the way out, we can miss the plot, right? So I'm going to just, everyone who's listening, I'm going to be using a very um, intense story that I heard um, that helps. Because to me, the way we think about God matters. That's theology. And to me, theology, if we just pick little pieces that work just for us, that is what we, and I even say um, maybe evangelicals, Historically, and I even say, like white church especially, we've historically done this. Does this statement on our website make us look good? Let's throw it out there. Does this this one little value here make us um, feel like we're more relevant? Well, let's do it. We can, we can put it together without thinking the context that we could burn. There's this guy named David Gushy. David Gushy is a professor and academic. He teaches uh, Christian ethics. And um, he wrote a book that was incredibly influential to me. Um, called Changing Our Minds, and it's all about theologically how do we um, interpret the Bible on the verses that talk about being inclusive or not being inclusive, and it was great. We also wrote a book called After Evangelicalism, and he goes through his whole um, his whole um, reconstruction and how he, as an academic, thinks about these big spiritual or theological ideas that have evolved over time, and one of them is on the problem of evil or the problem of pain, or the problem of human suffering. And how do we, as Christians, respond to that, right? When there is, um, I don't know, this pandemic that happens, and there's 700,000 people who have died, how do we theologically speak to that? And he shared a story that he heard from this rabbi, and it's changed the way I think about Romans 8.28. And the rabbi, right, um, and is talking about how the Holocaust and pain and exile throughout their history has deeply influenced them as people of faith. And when it comes to pain and how they move through pain, how they move not through pain, how they move through incredible, intense evil that's been done to them, how do they respond? He got in front of this group of people. He said, this is how they respond. Her story of German officers that would have to come and take the, the bodies that were in the gas chamber and moved them into mass graves. And how not everybody that they brought to this huge mass grave um, was still living. Some were still living. And how were they going to respond to that? They had a job to do. And the rabbi stood before everyone and said, whatever you're going to say to your friend at that funeral, you're putting that card. If you can't say it while you're standing there looking in the eyes of someone who's in that pit, then you can't write that card. If you're going to speak about pain and God, human suffering and God, you have to think about looking that person in the eye and saying those words. Because if you got down there and you said, hey, let go and let God, 
If you got down and quoted Romans 8, 28, say, hey, God's going to use this for God's glory. You'd be a monster, right? Now, you're not a monster if you write that down. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not equating, but can you see how when we respond to evil, we respond to pain, our theology has to play all the way out, or unless we're just using God as a, a pill to make us feel better. What would you say if you were there? You would say nothing, probably. I, I know what I thought of this all week. I would cry. I, I, I would probably do everything I can to make it stop. I would weep. That's what you do in suffering. That's what you do when you are with people. I can tell as someone who's been in a lot of funerals, the, the, the healthiest response I've ever seen, the thing you can do is just be there. Just be there. Cry, listen, cry some more. So, yes, this is what we're talking about. Today. Romans 8 28 is talking about the problem of evil, it's talking about suffering. And how are we, as uh, Christ followers, Jesus looking people, how are we supposed to move? And luckily for us, Paul speaks, and there's more than just Romans 8 28. We're going to take a bigger, bigger look at it. Before we do, I'm going to pray. I don't often pray in the middle of my message, but I thought this would be a good, good opportunity. So if you connect with God, you don't have to close your eyes. You could do jumping jacks if you really wanted to. But <laughs> no, Dad, don't do jumping jacks. Um, but I'm going, to, I'm going to pray. So God, we are with you. And we acknowledge that you're with us. In this breath, in this space, in kids screaming in the back room, all of it belongs, and you belong to all of it. And we welcome the kindness that you bring in our body. And the love that you've placed. And like an ember that grow brighter and brighter, pray that light a love would spill from my head, down my necks, through our shoulders, down our legs, wrap around our knees, and spill all around our toes. And that we are a people of light. We are a people of love. That we can bring, we can shine as bright as the stars. So as we talk about suffering and we talk about pain, that your love is louder and it's embodied in us. We love you. Amen. Amen. So here's what Paul is writing. We're going to start in chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit itself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So here's what Paul, is. he uses words in here. He uses words like calling to purpose, to groaning, to weakness. Here's what Paul is doing. Paul is saying, not how to pray. The verse here is not how to pray. It's what to pray for. Or even you can take who to pray with. Like I was, uh, my undergrad was in a, um, a Pentecostal uh, Bible college. 
And they would take this verse literally, and they would have a prayer meeting, like, all right, um, we're all going to groan. And I'm like, what are you going to do? They're like, we're all going to groan. We're going to groan, groan to God. And I'm like, happy for you. That's great. Like, if that helps you move to a place of love, let's go, go for it. I'm just not groaning for God today. And um, I don't think that's what Paul's trying to do. Paul starts with saying, uh, we are weak in our weakness. Right before this, Paul um, is talking about how we're in this in-between place, how um, all of creation is moaning or groaning in anticipation for the new creation, talking about our bodies and how it is in pain and it's groaning for something in the future to come, something in the future to be. Uh, a theological idea um, is it's called the already and the not yet, right? It's one way of thinking. Already we have this uh, access to this love of God, to this kingdom of God, but not yet the fullness of it. So we're in this in-between time of already we connect with God, but not yet the fullness. And what Paul was saying is, this is what happens. You're going to have pain in your body. You're, you should experience hard things. This is, like I said earlier, this is what it means to be human. We don't get to escape pain because we profess to follow Christ. That would be the oxymoron of Christ. Christ really took on pain, really gave his life. And Paul says, like, much of the time saying, buckle up. Because if this is who you're following, this is what you can expect. But he's speaking, what are we to do? As we're in this pain, as we're in weakness, what do we do? We pray. And prayer is this mystical, nuanced, beautiful, frustrating thing. Because what, what are we supposed to pray for? What are we supposed to pray for? Paul says, hey, you know what you can pray? Is you have no idea what to pray for. You have just no clue. Because you are in need, you're in pain, you're in this in-between, so what are you doing? He says, the Holy Spirit, God's active presence, is like going through your heart, and going through your heart like with this light, and shining and revealing your deepest needs, dreams, desires, pains, grief, doubts, certainty. It's like, Holy Spirit's walking around my heart, and the highlighting on all the art on the wall, saying, all right, here's Chris's dreams, this is what he wants, and who's he showing it to? The Spirit is showing it to God. The Spirit's bringing it, illuminating it to the divine. And for what purpose? Right? Like the word play here is, is I, I love, is if God, right? You believe God all-knowing, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving. He's all-knowing. The Holy Spirit be shining Chris's dreams of being the mayor of Carlton someday, right? Uh, uh, Chris's deepest fears of words I've said over my kids that I still regret, right? If he's if the Holy Spirit's revealing that to the divine, if God's all knowing, why would God need to know? God would be like, hey, Holy Spirit, you stop groaning. We <laughs> got I'm watching uh, Seinfeld, right? Sarah's favorite show. I'm watching Seinfeld, it's on Netflix. I don't need to know these things anymore. But there's, there, Paul makes and leaves it wide open is that there is this discovery that God is having about me. There is this um, exploration of what it means to be Chris, that the Holy Spirit is leading God to experience in real time with me. Not just about me, not just to me, but with me. And that there's a God who wants to know. And the way that the Holy Spirit um, grumbles, John Cobb was writing about this, the way that the Spirit says that it groans is uttering words, uttering things that are um, unconscious to me. There's things about what I want in my heart that I'm still unaware of, but the Holy Spirit is trying to bring that is illuminating to God for what purpose? For something good to happen. So there's there's this prayer and pain. There's this there's this um, presence with God that God is with us in real time as we make these discoveries, and that what God always wants, 
is for something good, right? But it doesn't always happen good. This is where we take Romans 8, 28 out. We say, well, um, God's going to use your pain in a way to bring good and glory into God's name, which is a problematic thing. Because if you can go on verses right after verse 20 and 30, use words like foreknowledge, and it's words that people use for predestination. Predestination is a, a way of that God, before God created all things, God already knew who was going to heaven, and there's a lot of verses that Paul uses to justify that. That's someone called John Calvin. I'm like, like this is the worst description of Calvinism of all time. I'm being, <laughs> being aware of that. And that's what they believe, of saying God um, actually caused an earthquake. And we don't understand, God's ways are higher than us, but God caused the predestined earthquake to happen, those people to die and to suffer, because God's going to use that for something good. Now, you can probably imagine the problematic part of that is then God created all these people in advance to go to heaven. It means that God also created a bunch of people to live the whole life that had no chance of ever connecting with God, and they believe we separated in hell, maybe conscious from it forever. Right? Like, that's, that's a monster God. That is not a loving God. And yes, Paul uses it, but like what John Cox says and Antirex says, that's not the point. We don't understand why he's using that kind of language here, but we do know this, is that God's will is always for something good. God's will always for transformation. God's will is always for liberation. There's a guy named, a guy, there is a brilliant man named uh, James Cohn, and he's a black liberation uh, theologian, and he's written some amazing works um, several decades ago. This is what he writes in response to Romans 8.28. Despite the emphasis on future redemption and present suffering, black theology cannot accept any view of God that even indirectly places divine approval on human suffering. The death and resurrection of Jesus does not mean that God promises us a future reality in order that we might tolerate present evil. The suffering that Jesus accepted and which is promised to his disciples is not to be equated with the easy acceptance of human injustice inflicted by white oppressors. What, what, what he is saying is so easy for us to look at the past and say, oh, God probably wanted slavery to happen, to bring all these good things out. God probably wanted cancer to this kid. Because look at all the glory that came out of it. God clearly had this landslide that killed these hundreds of people. Because look at all the glory that's coming up so we can just like, doesn't cost us anything to look back and say, wow, kingdom of God is alive and well. Thank you, people who suffered. Thank you, people who died. Any human suffering that we, we equate to the will of God is not God. And we just, when we take this verse out of context, we can say um, that God woke up in the morning and said, all right, turn the lights on, the sun comes up, and I'm going to make sure um, that Chris's anxiety is out of control. Because that's going to be a good story in a sermon five years from now, and God's glory is there for it, right? There's no point is that God's will. So then what are we to do with this verse? If we're praying and there's this Holy Spirit illuminating these beautiful things to the divine, and God is with us in the space in real time, then it's that God's will is always, like I said earlier, for flourishing and good things. It doesn't always happen. That does not change God's intention. What it does mean is that we get to do something about it. Paul says over and over, like predestination means that the agency is only on God's end. God's in control of all things. And that we doesn't matter what we do, God's going to do what he wants to do with or without us. But I believe 
is that we are in relationship with God, God with us, and we get to bring out and do our best to bring out the will of God, which is always good things, which is always transformation, which is always liberation. That way, we don't have to excuse the, the evil things, the horrible things that have happened, and say, well, what was God's will about the pandemic? What was God's will about people dying of starvation? You know, there's more than enough food to feed all people. What was it about? We don't have to explain what we can say that is evil, and that was never God's will. You getting divorced was not God's will, period. You having back pain, you, whatever it is, is not God's will. But what is God's will? That in this space, in this breath, let's do what we can to bring liberation. Let's do what we can to bring transformation. And who is God going to use? You, and only you, David. The rest of us get to just, the rest of us get to drink coffee and high five. Yes, <laughs> all responsibilities are only on your friend. Right? It's going to be us. This is why I believe in the church. This is why we still do church right now, right? We online or together or in your living room or whatever it is, we do it because I believe we can do some good. I believe that God is prompting us in this breath to do good and beautiful things. But we have to be willing to do it. Is it messy? Yes. Is it complicated? Yes. Are we going to hurt people? I hope not. But more probably will, right? But we can continue to do what we was thinking we can do the next best right thing, right? We can continue to show up and say, we are a people who want to do good and beautiful things. And so when we can see Romans 8, 28 in that way, instead of just using it as like, let go, let God, Gary, and we can see it as an opportunity to be that good, to prompt that good, and to partner with the Holy Spirit in that good, then we can be a good and beautiful community. So here's what I'd like to do. Um, Weaver and Nikki, I don't know if we said earlier, we're going to take communion together. It was prompted me that it's been a long time, and you don't have to. So just so you know, like, if I, I'm looking at all of you and I see one of you, I'm not going to be like, um, Dietrich, we're taking communion, please. And if you're online and you want to do communion with us, you can go get some uh, raisin bran and um, whatever, you, whatever you were drinking last night that's still left over. And if you'd like to participate, they're going to be handing out the individual. Now, this, these communion cups, um, they're $50 a cup because they use high, high source material. It's, it's, it's excellent. And, oh, I have one right now. Oh, man. I want some raisin bran. Someone give me some raisin bran. Hey, Weaver. Alright, the reason that we take communion, either in video um, here at um, Neighborhood, um, individually or with friends, because you guys like all looking like, hmm, oh, yeah. It's safe, it's clean, um, and it goes down, it goes down. It goes down. <laughs> the reason we do it is it's a, it's a symbol, right? Um, it is a way for us to hold something in our hands, to um, have some texture, to have some taste, regardless of the taste is, so that we can feel in our body that 
This is a representation of that there is a Christ that is a good God who is not just with us, but is in us. And it brings us life. In the same way that this juice will bring us calories, in the same way that it will make us think about what we want to eat for lunch later, right? It's still prompting our body, our intellect, and even say our soul, that we belong to someone good. And the way into this good and beautiful life is to follow the Christ, that we're willing to be generous with everything, that we're openly handed, willing to give it, it all, not just to God, but to one another. That communion is not just me connected with God, it's a way for us, and even online, we're saying we belong to one another. This is a good place. So we start with the, the wafer. And the night, the, the, sometime before Jesus went to the cross, gathered his disciples together, he says, this is my body, a body that Jesus willingly gave, but never really gave. He says, eat this as a way to remember me. Let's take it. He held up his grape juice. That was <laughs> grape juice. This is my blood that's poured out for you. Treat this remember to me. So God, thank you that you want us to engage with you with all our senses. You want, us, you want to engage us and be with us in our entire being. Thank you for the way that you've shown up again and again, willing to give of yourself. And we receive it. In the same way we receive food or drink, I just willing to open up and willing just to uh, reactively, instinctively just take it in. I pray that we would do that with our bodies, our intellect, and our soul. And you can use us as neighborhood church. You can use us to do and be good in this world. And even though we're in pain, even though there's suffering, even though there's evil things happening, that we don't just need to use words to make people feel better, but we can use our intellect, our art, our online activism, our leadership, our wallet, to be and to do good. We love you. Amen. So that is it. Thank you for coming to Neighborhood Church. Um, and I hope you have a great rest of the weekend.